Salutations, peace, and blessings. You're listening to the Kneel Down Podcast. I am your host, the Commish. I want to start this episode by giving a huge shout out, a congratulatory shout out to Judge Katanji Brown Jackson. Those that may not know who she is, shame on you. Shame on you. You should know by now that she was voted by the Senate to become the first black woman to be served or serving on the U.S. United States Supreme Court. We finally have a sister in the Supreme Court. Says a lot about the United States, says a lot about America, says a lot more about the people who make up this country We're finally getting it together. We finally understand that black people can also become Supreme Court. That the Clarence Hill and Thurgood Marshall are people we overlook. We appreciate what they've done. We appreciate all the others that are making their ways into into history. But Supreme Court, that is the highest of the courts that you will find here in the United States. There is no higher than the Supreme Court. And Katanji, hope I said you right, man. Hope I said your name right. Katanji Brown Jackson is now a part of Supreme Court Justice. Says a lot. I wish I knew more about her, but perhaps we'll learn more as time goes on. It is 2022. We've seen a black president in the United States. Now we see the first black woman to become Supreme Court Justice. Congratulations goes out to her again and her family on this huge, huge accomplishment. I want to go into this particular episode talking about both NBA and NFL information. Uh, This is what I do. It's a crossover. This is my NFL-NBA crossover. I try to give every now and then if I come up with some information, some topics that need to be discussed. The first topic I want to talk about stems in basketball. I want to talk about the NBA real quick because what I don't understand for the life of me, the commission cannot fathom why this has become such an issue. It's been an issue for the last several years. We've done nothing about it until now because we see LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, and Ben Simmons, James Harding at times fall victim to injuries. However, the injuries are insignificant in some ways, meaning it probably is not as lengthy of an injury as it might be. It's just the fact that they they miss in time. These players are missing time due to the injury. So we believe that because they're hurt, they can't play, right? But we have to question if these guys are actually hurt, if they're trying to make up their own NBA schedules because they don't want to play the full 82-game season. Well, excuse me. If anybody really should get a pass is LeBron James because he spent at least 10 years playing preseason basketball, regular season basketball, postseason basketball, finals basketball. This man has been playing well over 4,000 games of basketball since we can remember. He's been to 10 finals. So if anybody really gets a pass and all this, I would think it'd be LeBron. But you know what? Interesting enough, Commissioner Adam Silver 
has been looking at this and reviewing this and investigating this, and he's going to try to come down with something. He's trying to find a way to make this work so that these players are not missing so much time. But how can you prove that? How can Adam Silver, who does not have a doctrine, to my understanding, who is not a PhD or MD, be able to know if these guys are suitable, healthy enough to play basketball? But what's really more fascinating is the fact that we see a lot of younger guys now unable to finish an NBA season. Is it the wear and tear of the situation? Is it because of the fact we're expecting these guys to score 30 a night? How much hard work is put into these players to go out there and not succeed at playing basketball due to injury or perhaps even due to whatever mental strain or illness there may be? It's something that the NBA will have to investigate because it seems like it's been happening a lot more over the last few years. But it's still the fact that when we see Kawhi Leonard sit there in in street clothes, it really makes you wonder just how healthy are you? Is it a situation that goes deeper than playing basketball? Same thing with Ben Simmons. Is there something going on in the NBA that's really got you so troubled that you wouldn't even attempt to get suited to play ball? That would be a miracle if these guys get up and decide to play in in the postseason in the playoffs. I mean, many of us would like to see that. But considering where these teams are, especially like the Clippers, the Nets, these teams are struggling just to get into the playoffs. There is no legitimacy here at this point. They still have to win the play-in tournament to give them an opportunity to be seeded either 7th or 8th. And the last I checked in the Western Conference alone, the Timberwolves has been kicking some butt. I don't know what the Clippers are going to do in that situation. We don't have to worry about the Lakers. That's for sure. (laughs) Lakers have been eliminated. But even in the Eastern Conference, I believe the seventh seed right now, the Cavaliers, and then the Nets are eighth place. What's freakish is that the Nets could actually finish in seventh place. And then they would have to compete with Milwaukee in the first round. Now, this is what we really want to see, right? We still want to see how the Nets could persevere against Milwaukee in the playoffs. And even though they will be the seventh seed, more than likely, it's still the question of how well will they be against Milwaukee or how well will they be against Miami? I'm not really putting a lot of faith in the Nets for what they could do in the tournament or what they could do should they make it out of the tournament and make the playoffs. It's still the fact that if you had time to heal, if you had time to rest your injuries to the point now where even if you're not at 100% and you're still playing basketball, then perhaps load management was for you. But the problem is that we abuse, and I say we, it's more of like a metaphorical term. It's not we as in me and you. It's we as in the players in the NBA that take it upon themselves to decide that tonight is not the night to play basketball because I'm hurt. And then turn around a few days later and say again, you know what, tonight is just not the night for me to play because I'm hurt. Sometimes it's not about the pain. Maybe it's not about physical pain. 
Maybe there's a mental, psychological pain that comes with playing basketball that these young players can't seem to endure. And whether they're young or whether they've been in the league for about seven or eight or even ten seasons, it's still the fact that you have a job to do. You're getting paid millions of dollars to do a job. That job entails you getting your butt off the off the, the seats, get off that little plushy seat, suit up, get your sneakers on, get your big boy pants on, and go out there and bust your tail out there and try to win some games. Because we are getting tired of this low management stuff. If I'm paying top dollar to watch you play and you ain't playing, it really questions your ability to be an NBA player. Because what you're concerned about has more to do with your health and perhaps even your feelings than it does the sake of the team and the direction that that team may be going in. So says the commission. This is the Kneel Down Podcast, as I mentioned before. This is my NBA NFL crossover. There's a lot in the NFL that's going on, ladies and gentlemen. I cannot ignore it. I'm going to try to cram it as much as I can because I feel it's all relevant to what's going on today in the sports news. Former coach Steve Wilkes and former assistant coach, maybe he's still an assistant coach with the NFL, Ray Horton, have now teamed with the Brian Flores legal team to go after the NFL for racial discrimination. You know, what's, you know what's really mesmerizing about this story is the fact that we've seen this for so long, but we can never prove it. We can never find a way to express what's really going on without anything concrete to prove that there's even discrimination going on. All we know is that the majority of the coaches that we see in the NFL are white. Does that mean that they're qualified to be coaches? Perhaps. But there are some that are not qualified to be coaches. And the black coaches that are probably a lot more qualified don't even get a chance at an interview. And even if it is an interview there, it's a sham anyway. Because you are not getting the job. It was inevitable from the door that the person you passed was the person that probably had the job in his back pocket anyway. According to former coach Mike Malarkey, Over the last few days, we heard that this man had the job at Tennessee, yet he still saw these guys going in for interviews and he couldn't say a word. He's regrettable over what happened. Not that it's really his fault. The NFL is shysty that way. The NFL knows how to work the angles. They know which buttons to push to make sure that they are untouchable, to make sure nothing falls back down their way. So that they're not the ones caught with their hands in the proverbial cookie jar. But we've seen these owners up till now decide who they want as coaches. We saw what Brian Flores was able to do with Miami this past season, but still get fired. We saw Steve Wilkes take a job with the Arizona Cardinals back in 2018 and didn't even finish the season before he was fired. And then you see all these other coaches that had a chance to be head coaches only spend maybe a few years as head coach. Now, do they deserve that kind of treatment? Absolutely not. 
and they'll be the first one, the owners of course, will be the first one to tell you, well, this guy had a losing record. They didn't do anything to prove that they are worthy of being the NFL coach. Then you hire somebody that has no experience as NFL coach to be a head coach of any kind of team. And it's supposed to justify whatever statement you might have made about the black coach you just released. I've said this before, and I'm not going to go on a tangent now because it's getting late. But anybody that knows anything about racism should know that what's going on in the NFL has been going on for years, decades. And it's been brought to our attention as of recent because somebody took the initiation. Someone took the initiative to stand up and say, this is wrong. I'm putting my career at risk, but it's for a worthy cause because I know that what's going on in the NFL is wrong. There's no reason why I should be placed to the side or be a bridge coach as Steve Wilkes placed himself as. To have somebody else take the position from me, knowing that I deserve that position a little bit more than the other person. It's unfair. Let's, I mean, let's just call for what it is. I know it's unfair. It goes without saying, and many people out there that probably will agree. But you gotta allow these coaches an opportunity to coach. It's not enough to say, okay, well, you've done your few years. Thanks for your time. That's not what this is all about. That's not a true job. That's more of like an audition. That's more of like you trying to put in some practice work for what could be the bigger job down the road, maybe in the collegiate level. But there are suitable black coaches that can take on these jobs. It's the fact that these owners don't want them. They don't want these guys to coach. They have their minds made up as to what they want to see and who they want to see as coaches. And mind you, if you look at the coaches that are there now in the NFL in 2022, they are all young. On top of that, they're all Caucasian. That's no accident. And it's not to say they're not qualified. It's the fact that if you want to be fair about this, why not exercise the idea or the opportunity for some of these other African-American coaches, an opportunity to be a coach where they seem or deem fit with those two. But see, the thing is this, they want to be able to pair the coach with the quarterback. For some reason in their mind, you can't have a successful team without a successful coach with a successful quarterback. That's why these quarterbacks now are in high demand. High demand because it's that hard or much harder to find your franchise quarterback these days. That's why Matthew Staff is such a commodity. That's why Matt Ryan right now is such a commodity. Because we don't know offhand if these guys will end up being our franchise quarterbacks. And they're so rare and few between. And for these coaches that are fighting to prove their names in law and, and right there within the NFL, I give them all the praise because they're doing something that they know is right. They're doing something for the better of themselves and for the organization that they've loved for so much for a long period of time to give an opportunity to become a coach on one of those NFL teams. So says the commission. 
I'm jumping from coaches to receivers. Why? Because these receivers of today, the wide receivers of 2022 are high demand. Just like we see the quarterbacks high demand, receivers apparently of high demand. And it seems like it's all of a sudden. This is not something that's been brewing for the last few years. It's something that just happened in 2022. And I'm looking at the Jacksonville Jaguars and I'm shaking my head and I'm shaking my head some more because I cannot understand why I'm looking at you guys and I'm trying to figure out why would you invest so much money in Christian Kirk? And I have to wonder if these organizations really have a clue as to what this whole free agency market is all about. Now, because you're not going to give so much money to Trevor Lawrence because he's into his second season, you don't really have the intentions of really spending so much money on him now. So we're going to find weapons for him to make this team better. But then you go after Christian Kirk and you give this man how much you giving him? It's unbelievable. You're going to pay this man $84 million for the next four seasons. $84 million. Now, when I'm looking at his records, and I'm looking what he accomplished last season, nothing, you know, nothing that really makes me feel like you've done something right. Nothing that really makes me feel you've turned the tables over. This man had 103 receptions, 982 yards, and five touchdowns. He deserves $84 million? Really? If you look at the receivers over this past season, there was a number of seasons before, there were a number of receivers before him that made such accomplishments in today's football schedule. You look at where Christian Kirk is lined up in the top 10. This man is in 27th place, but you're giving him $84 million? What did you see in Christian Kirk that you didn't see in other receivers? Receivers like Devontae Parker, Devontae Adams, Tyree Kill. DeAndre Hopkins, Amari Cooper, Chris Godwin, Stephon Diggs just got $104 million to play for the Bills. There's something about what's going on in the NFL today that just makes absolutely no sense if you're trying to find ways of restructuring your team under this season's salary cap. You've already paid your quarterbacks the top dollar, to my understanding, within that organization. But it doesn't seem like it's enough that you gotta somehow handcuff a receiver with these quarterbacks, but you gotta pay them over $100 million to catch the ball. If you ask me, these receivers outside of Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill, Cooper Cup, perhaps even maybe Justin Jefferson are worthy of that kind of money because you know what you're going to get with these guys game in and game out. I don't know what I'm going to get from Christian Kirk. I don't even think the Jacksonville Jaguars know what they're going to get from Christian Kirk this year. This man may have numbers less than what he did this past season. Who's to know if he's going to get five touchdowns this upcoming season? But you invest $84 million? Trent Baalke, I'm looking at you, man. The, the general manager for the, the for the Jaguars, what are you doing? What is possessing you to go after this particular guy and want to spend so much money in him? You mean to tell me that everybody else that you could have gone after just was not worth $84 million? You mean to tell me Chris Godwin wasn't worth $84 million? Amari Cooper wasn't worth $84 million? 
You mean to tell me, even if you had a crack at Tyreek Hill, he wouldn't be worth $84 million? Now, I understand Tyreek Hill is the highest paid receiver this season. But based on what the Jacksonville Jaguars were trying to do, they could have easily uh, invested in a Tyreek Hill. But then we don't want to give up draft picks. What's worse? You spending all that money on a, on a subpar receiver? Or putting your money in a, in, a, in a receiver that you know will deliver the goods? See, don't marginalize yourself to think that this these, these teams, these organizations don't have what it takes to bring in the top. They do. They can bring in the top talent. They can afford that top talent. It's more so a question of what they really want to do with the guys that they like more. Because for what I see in these receivers, are they really worth that much money? Is any receiver worth that much money outside the names already given? Are they worth that much money? I've seen a lot of drop balls this past season. I've seen tight ends play better than wide receivers. Yet we're willing to give these receivers top dollar. That's a problem to me. That's a problem for the commission. Because where do you draw the lines with receivers? We can't do it with running backs, but we can do it with receivers. We can pay these guys $100 million for, for dropping the ball, missing your routes, being offsides. I've seen some of the, I've seen some of the things that these receivers have done. None of them impressed me to the point where I really feel like I gotta give them over a hundred million dollars. Outside of Cooper Cup, Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill, Justin Jefferson. Those are the only four off the top of my head that I can think of right now that deserve that catch. Christian Kirk, 84 million? Give me a break. So says the commission. I do my NFL mock draft during this time of the year because the NFL draft is coming up in a few weeks. The end of April, or uh, April 28th, excuse me, April 28th, we will see the first round of the NFL draft. So the commission has done what everybody else has done and created his own mock draft. And I have taken the time to look at all these players and with the help of some research, doing large part to Lindy Sports, shout out to Lindy Sports, I was able to put together my own mock draft for the top 32 teams in the league. The problem with that is a lot of these teams are trading their positions with every week that passes. So I had to to redo my mock draft for picks 11 to 21. And I'm going to give you those picks right now. I already gave you 1 through 10 in my last episode last week. If you can find an episode, Kneel Down Podcast. That's all you need to find. Look that up and see what it I did for the first 10 picks in the NFL mock draft. The next pick starts at number 11 that goes to the Washington Commander. Shout out to Washington. They're in dire need of an offensive guard, to say the least. They are in dire need of an offensive guard or an offensive lineman, whatever the case may be. But the top guard to replace what we had in Brian Sheriff has to be Kenyon Brown from Texas A&M. 6'4", 325. Didn't see much of him in, him in the combine. But based off what I've read and the research that I've done, bar an injury, this guy would fit well 
on that offensive line for Washington. That's what they really need to get this team kickstarted, up and running. Get that running game together. Get that blocking game together. That pass blocking game. For Carson wants to do his magic. I say it in air quotes. <laughs> Let's go Washington. Number 12. The number 12 pick goes to the Minnesota Vikings. And I think it goes without saying that they got to improve that defense. They got to improve the secondary. And there's no better person to select but Sauce Gardner from Cincinnati. He drops to 12, 6'3", 2,000. He is the second best corner coming out of this draft. Just seems fit. I mean, there's probably other positions they could shoot for, but I just believe Sauce Gardner won't drop any further than 12. Number 13 goes to the Houston Texans. The Houston Texans now coached under Lovey Smith. Shout out to Lovey Smith. I remember when, Mr. Smith. If you listen to this podcast, you got number love over here, Lovey. I know what you're trying to do with this team, and you got to improve that offense. I already told you what you did on defense with the third overall pick. Now for the 13th pick, you're going to get Garnett Wilson because it just makes sense that you got to provide weapons whoever's going to quarterback that ball from Ohio State, 5'11", 192. He is probably one of the better receivers outside of what we got from Drake London that is going to give you production, in large part because of route running, clean hands, great feet. This guy will make you miss out there in in, in space. So I got to believe Garnett Wilson would be the perfect fit for Houston at number 13. Number 14 goes to Baltimore. They'll take a corner themselves because they got banged up last year with a lot of guys missing time, missing the season due to injury. At 14, they'll go with Andrew Booth Jr. from Clemson. Six feet tall, 195 pounds, pretty fast. I saw what he can do. I don't think it's too high for him at 14. I think he fits just right, right there for Baltimore. Philly made some trades with the Saints. Because of that, I had to restructure my mock draft. The 15th pick for Philly. They'll get a corner themselves from Auburn, Mr. Roger McCreary. A lot of guys were high on him in the combine. Didn't see much of him in pro day. That could have been my bad. But he's still going to be a person that Philly's going to need when the time comes. Right there at 15. Number 16. The Saints traded with the Philadelphia Eagles to get this spot, I think in large part, to get the receiver that they wanted in Chris Olave. Chris Olave from Ohio State, he is one of the better receivers out of the Ohio State University that will be going in the first round, and he'll be going with the Saints right there at number 16. I got to believe that's what they're going to be going for because they don't know what Michael Thomas is going to do. Outside of what they can use at quarterback, they're going to stick with what they have at QB, but they still need weapons on the outside. Chris Olave goes to the Saints. Number 17, the L.A. Chargers. Go, Chargers, go. Will improve that offensive line. I thought maybe they would go with a tight end, but it's probably too soon in this draft order to go for a tight end for the Chargers. So at 17, they will go for Tyler Linderbaum from Iowa, 6'3", 290, the best center available. I got to believe they'll snatch him up at that spot. Number 18 goes back to the Philadelphia Eagles. 
of which they'll improve that offensive line. Some more with Trevor Penning from Northern Iowa, 6'7", 330. You got to have big people up front to protect your quarterback, get that running game established. They got to go with Trevor Penning from North Iowa at 18. Number 19 goes back to the Saints. Saints see what they've done so far with the receiver. Now we got to find a way to block for our quarterback as well. And they'll go after the biggest guy on the offensive line there in the draft in David Falele out of Minnesota, 6'8", 387. How can you ignore this? Why would he drop so far? I mean, I, I get why, but it's like, come on. The dude is 6'8", 387. A lot of teams should have snatched that up way before pick 19. Number 20 goes to the Pittsburgh Steelers. They got to improve that offensive line as well. And I think they'll go after Sean Ryan from UCLA. Guard at 6'4", 320. Probably one of the better run-blocking guards you're going to find in the draft. I got to believe Pittsburgh will go with a guard in that first round. And number 21 goes to the New England Patriots. Unless they decide to trade that pick, I see Devontae Wyatt from Georgia going on that defensive line. I got to believe he's the next best thing to go. That's what the Patriots do every year. They go with uh, somebody on defense first. This is how they do. That's just how they do. And I think they'll do that 21st pick. Devontae Wyatt from Georgia. 6'3", 307 pounds. Good feet. Like the way he moves right there laterally. You have been listening to the Kneel Down Podcast. I am the commission. I'm almost out of time. So I appreciate the fact that you took some time to listen to me. It means a lot. I, I tried to cram it as much as I could in 30 minutes. And I think I did a pretty good job. So I'll finish it by saying, so says the commission. I wish everybody the best this weekend. I hope everybody enjoys the weekend. I hear that the weather's going to improve. It's going to be nice. Spring-like. <laughs> hope everybody enjoys their weekend i'll talk more nba when the time comes but until that time comes i want to say peace and love to all those out there stay safe get vaccinated and i'm out